the Scholars and Iron podcast. You know, and I, I just sort of allowed myself to be open to other possibilities. And in that time, it became clear to me that I was called to serve in some way. You know, the way that I feel, the reward that I feel internally to be able to help people along in their walk with Christ is unlike any other reward I've experienced in my life. And the fruit is manifest. Good morning, and welcome to the Scholars in Iron podcast. I'm your host, Joe, coming to you from outside the nation's capital, right here in the DMV. The objective of Scholars in Iron is very straightforward. It's to associate strength training with intellectual endeavors. On the show, we'll examine the connection between capitalism and CrossFit, philosophy and powerlifting, all to raise some hell and even a few questions. By the end of each episode, we'll get one rep closer to living the phrase, civilize the mind, but make savage the body. Now come on, let's lift. Last time we spoke, we left off talking about Peter momentarily walking on water, having that an immense amount of faith for maybe a brief few seconds, literally, before he almost plunges through and, and Christ lifts him up. I left off talking about, you know, even just the faith of a mustard seed. Like when you think about it, that small little thing that can have so much faith, if you have it, you too can do all these kind of wondrous things in your life. And I wanted to know from you. Because I think one of the things that a lot of folks struggle with, especially if they're kind of, you know, whether they're trying to, as you put it, filling that God-shaped hole in their hearts, if they're trying to kind of get into their faith, they don't come from a background maybe that have a lot of Christian background or anything like that, or regardless of what faith it is. But since we're Christians, we're talking about Christianity here. How do you then personally discern the voice of God within? If you don't have that background. If you don't have that background, you're getting into the faith for the first time. That can be a little tricky, I think, for some people because I think the last thing I'll say is I think some people expect to have some kind of revelation like, you know, I don't know, somebody materializes in front of you or you hear this voice. But for a lot of folks, that may not be the case. So I'm curious, maybe for you personally, how do you kind of discern that voice of God within you? I think it's important, first of all, to like... Well, within me, myself, and my own experience, it might be a little bit different, right? Because I would consider myself to be a little bit more mature in my faith than someone who doesn't have that background and that understanding. Because I have, like I said, 20 plus years of experience studying scripture, right? So there is that background there. And then when the missing pieces sort of fall into place, everything falls into place, right? But when you're dealing with someone who is new to faith, right, who's like what Paul would refer to as their infants in Christ. They can only drink the milk. <laughs> you can only feed them milk <laughs> and not solid foods, right? So just the basics. Uh, I think it's important not to kind of overemphasize the complexity of it at first, you know? And there are people that on, you know, on the other end of the spectrum that are struggling with the complexity of it and have been for many years. And they're caught in that cycle where they may already believe that they might already believe in Jesus. They may already have a desire to obey him, but they haven't seen the benefits of that manifest in their life yet. As far as how I myself hear that voice, and I know for certain that that's God. I know that I'm in community with God and I have the Holy Spirit within me. There was a long time that that was not the case, that I, that I strived for it and longed for it, and I couldn't understand what it was that was keeping me from doing it. It was keeping me from hearing it. It was keeping me from being able to interact and truly be in community with Christ. And in my case, I can tell you what it was for me. Uh, it's very hard to say for other people what's going to make them feel that. But I was still carrying shackles. Um, I was still wearing the shackles. I was still a slave to the world. 
and that was guilt. That shackle was guilt. You know, I still carried guilt for things I did wrong. And a good way to think about it is the devil in your ear. And I had the devil in my ear telling me, you still sin. You're still doing things wrong. You're not of God. You know, you're of the world. As a result of that, it made it difficult for me to approach God in a sincere manner because you don't want to talk to somebody who you don't think wants to talk to you, right? <laughs> who you think doesn't want you, right? And I feel that is that is that doubt is a trick of Satan. I believe that is the devil. I believe that is the storm. And what we usually do is we look at the storm because it's loud and it's scary and we know that it could be dangerous. So we look to all these distractions because we're trained to do that as people that operate and live our lives you know, of the world. And what we need to do instead is focus on Christ. So you hear people talk about leaving it at his feet, right? And I can remember hearing that and it sort of seemed like, uh, well, it's like maybe a platitude of some kind. And I, what am I leaving at his feet? Okay, I'm leaving sin at his feet or things I've done wrong. And what you're actually leaving at his feet is the chains that you're carrying, the shackles that you're wearing. And the reason that you have to put it down is I felt like, and the first time I did, I felt like God was saying to me, I need you to take these shackles off. I need you to put this guilt down because I have other things for you to carry and you can't carry both. <laughs> you know, that debt's already paid and it is. I mean, how many times does Christ need to be crucified for us to be forgiven? I think once did it, you know, he said it was finished. So it's really about willingness to accept the whole thing and not piecemeal it. But to say kind of what I was talking about before with that exercise uh, in our previous discussion, the exercise of assuming, let's operate, let's work with the axiom that everything in scripture is true. And not only is it absolutely true, it's deeper and more complex than I could ever hope to understand. But maybe by accepting that, I can start to skim the surface. And once I did, once I said, there's nothing about this that I'm going to change, I'm not going to make God in my own image. I'm not going to say this is true, but this doesn't really work. And this doesn't apply anymore. And try to change things and, and, and essentially formulate my own ideological religion using pieces of what something that's perfect already as a whole. You know, I don't believe that anything needs to change about the scripture. I don't believe that at all. I did. At a certain time, I I had doubts. I had questions. And, and those doubts and questions led to, they were like a cancer. Doubt is a cancer. It always is. You know, and that's with everything. It spreads and grows, metastasizes. And it needs to be kind of torn out at the root. Fortunately, in my struggles, I already had all the tools I needed to do that. I had already come across and picked apart and examined from every angle all the tools that I already had that I needed to reach that conclusion. But I wasn't able to do it on my own. So it was a matter of me admitting that I couldn't do it on my own strength, that I had to drop those shackles, that I couldn't carry both. You know, and I've seen a lot of people struggle with that, you know, certainly intellectuals, to the point where they're struggling, they're on the precipice, you can see they're on the precipice of surrendering, of realizing that this is destroying me, trying to fight this on my own, trying to like acknowledging even that, look, this stuff is correct, but looking for proof and needing proof and not accepting the whole picture. You know, I think that's the path to it. As far as how, how to know that you're feeling it or hearing it, you're going to know. <laughs> I've never come across somebody that's, he that's hearing or experiencing or, or feeling the will of God and the Holy Spirit, and they're not aware of it. It's an overwhelming sense of peace, joy, but also responsibility That's, that comes along with it. And that is the cost of that peace and joy. And uh, the fact that you're guaranteed that you're promised that, that in anything you do, you can have that peace. If you, you know that you're serving God, right? So I have a, a problem solving razor that I use, right? With everything in my life, because how many times throughout the course of a day do you run into struggles of what is, acceptable in the world that you know is not acceptable to God, right?
So I ask myself before I make any decision or take any action, I try to, I make a sincere effort to always consider this. And if there's ever something that I'm not sure about, this problem solving razor allows me to have that certainty. So I say, why? Right, and that seems like a very simple thing it is, but why am I doing this, right? What is this in service to? Because another aspect of this that people struggle with is they don't want to admit that they're servants. It seems demeaning, it feels demeaning on some level. You know, we all want to be kings, but the only way to get there is to be a servant. And the fact of the matter is, whether you admit it or accept it or acknowledge it or not, you are a servant. You're either serving God or you're serving someone else. And I mean, we both know who that is. So <laughs> when I'm making a decision to do something, I say, am I doing this? Is this, is this God's will? Is this, am I, am I seeking God's will here? Am I seeking first his kingdom? Because I know that if I seek first the kingdom of God, all my needs will be met, right? But if I'm not doing that, and that's not my top priority, I'm not pursuing that above all else, I don't get that promise. But, you know, scripture tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, right? So if that's you, which I know that's you, it's me, I love God, I'm called according to his purpose then in order for me to get my needs met, for me to not ever have to worry, to never need to be afraid, to never have to feel unsure, uncertain about my needs being met, it's a very simple recipe. It's a very simple formula. I, I simply need to question in everything that I do, am I keeping God first? Am I keeping his will first? Am I putting that ahead of the desires of my flesh? You know? And then you hear that voice. It'll be, it's there. I mean, once you, as soon as you fall into line with that and you submit to that, I promise you, that joy is yours. And how many Christians are walking around and don't get to experience that? That's sad to me. They don't get that peace. They don't get to feel that certainty. They're still questioning everything and living and behaving as though they were in the world. It's kind of like you and I were talking about earlier about 1 Corinthians. Corinth was a city, it was a Greek city. At the time that Paul wrote those letters, they were still behaving and living as people of the world and Christian. So there was a lot of conflict there. And so a lot of that stuff that he lays out in those letters is instructions on how to live life as a Christian, you know, to submit completely. I think that's the path to get there. And uh, we're all capable of doing that. You know, it's a choice. Yeah, you know, it reminds me there's a... Uh a very famous passage by St. John Henry Newman. He was an Anglican priest. He converted to Catholicism and he wrote a lot about church history and stuff, but he has, he has a passage in one of his books and it says that the human conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. Even if words aren't spoken or something is verbalized, there's still something within you that kind of presses you a little bit. What, what do you think that is, that thing that's within you? I mean, I would say for me, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, and that's heavily supported in Scripture. Um, in First Corinthians, I want to say chapter 3, actually, it's so funny because we are on some First Corinthians today, aren't we? But in First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 3, <laughs> Paul talks about, you know, don't you guys realize that you are the temple of God, you know, and that the spirit of God dwells within you, that the spirit of the father is within you and you are the temple, you know, and this is, this is supported, you know, obviously Christ before he went to heaven, he said, it's better that I go and I'm going to leave you with a helper and the helper he's referring to is the Holy spirit, you know, within you, it can be within you, guide you. And that is God inside of you. That is that Holy Spirit. That is that voice. Now, we can grieve that voice. We can silence that voice even by rebelling against it. Right? And that's the, the, you know, going against your conscience. If you go against your conscience, for lack of you know, spiritual terminology, if you go against your conscience long enough, it doesn't bother you anymore. <laughs> the things that you once felt, once felt bad about, you don't any longer. And that is... That is like that's definitionally grieving the Holy Spirit to the point where 
you know, you have to question, are you still a temple of God <laughs> at that point? You know, um, we, we are called to glorify God, you know, and in, in chapter 10 of the same book, <laughs> the same letter, first uh, Corinthians in chapter 10, he talks about uh, everything that you do, you should do to glorify God. You should use it to glorify God, you know, and I think it's pretty, again, that that's, leads us back to my problem solving razor that I was referring to earlier. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and if it's not to glorify God, you're serving somebody else. Who am I serving? Who do you serve? It should be God. You should know right away. If you're someone who's calling yourself a Christian and you're a believer, it should be God. You should be able to clearly state, I'm trying to serve God. That doesn't mean that you don't mess up, that you don't do things wrong. We all do things wrong. We all make mistakes. To be sinless is not a reasonable goal, I don't think, but we sin less, you know, we sin less when we fall in line with the Holy Spirit. And the way we do that is by not focusing on sin. So in other words, a trick, in my opinion, from my perspective, my position is that the trick that the devil uses the most is to convince people that they are not capable of doing that, or that they are less than or that they're guilty, you know, focus on your own sin. Essentially, to me, that's self-worship, right? Those sins are forgiven. And the path to sinning less, I mean, to the point where you can say, like, I don't have the desire to sin anymore. The path to that is not focusing on not sinning. It's focusing on Christ. Anything else is a trick to get you to look at the storm. So you begin to sink like Peter did, like we were talking about before, right? That's not to say that Christ won't pick you back up because he did and he will every time. But, you know, I, w I don't know about you, but when the time comes for me, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Absolutely. No, amen to that. No, for sure. You know, well, yeah. It's interesting, too, because you brought up, you don't like the idea of being a servant or, you know, I don't want to use the word submissive per se, because I don't really think Christianity is about mm. submission. I don't think that's part of our language right um maybe submission to christ there's submission for sure for sure but a lot of it is also this choice right whether or not you decide to accept and then pursue i think that that's that's important i think one delineation there that's huge is that we are submitting either way right but we lie to ourselves and feed our pride that we're not submitting if we don't submit to christ we're just but we are we're submitting then to satan so it's one if you look at it that way there can't be that much room for gray and the gray area is what gets us it's indecision kind of like what we were talking about with uh pope benedict's quote that, that we discussed on the first podcast indecision is 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 a foothold for sin that sounds right briefly uh going through uh sayings of the desert fathers right there's that book about <clears throat> the pre-schismatic um, early church fathers. And there's quite a few passages about hating the world. Now, I think to our very modern ears, right? People will be like, yeah, but I like planet earth and I, and I, and I like, you know, I like nature and I like all these things. And of course, you know, we all enjoy these, but obviously the meaning here is, is a bit different from what they're saying. When you think about the world, I mean, my God, like it is manifest. It is complex. It is, it, it takes you down all sorts of tunnels. And it is interesting that there is a, a, a simplicity to you know christian love um it's that there's grace right and i think that and that i think that's really the the main driver of it while with kind of things of the world or if you want to poke at it a little bit further you could say even you know the power of satan is is manifest and it, it can lead you to different things and you know you mentioned the idea of servant and uh yeah, we don't often really want to see ourselves like that. And I think, of course, when you look into, I don't know, when you take a cursory look at the world of lifting as it presents itself in the social media, right? So that's like one area of a viewpoint that is out there. And a lot of people have this kind of take charge mentality. You know, I'm a savage, blah, 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 all that good stuff, right? And um, and that's, you know, I mean, I get it. I understand where that's coming from. I think it's good to have self-confidence. Nothing wrong with it. Um, but there's a, there's something that I, there's something operating there that I feel is missing when it's not put into any kind of bigger 
context, right? And so the point I'm, I want to drive at is that there was this, uh, and I mentioned this before, but there's this uh, really fascinating book on the kind of faith habits of millennials. And it's by this uh, theologian, Dr. Tara Burton. And so she has a passage which she says, you know, when we are all our own high priests, who was willing to kneel? I found that particularly striking because these days it seems like nobody really wants to do that. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm with you 100%. There is, I think there is, and there's one thing I want to go back. I, I, I want to jump back to real quick because I don't want to, I don't want to miss this. Something that you said about hating the world, right? Like, I do think we we need to look at the world. So let's think about, like, the word hate is a strong word, right? For example, in Proverbs 6, I want to say it's like 15 or 16 on, uh, talks about what God hates. You know, it says there's six things that God hates. No, there's seven, right? So what those things were, were like haughty eyes, a lying tongue, right? Hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, false witnesses that pour out lies, and a person that stirs up conflict within the community. Those are the things that God hates. Like according to scripture, that is the only evidence of God hating, right? So I would say anything that falls outside of that category, we probably shouldn't hate. But the idea that, you know, if we're using God as an example, right? And that we're made in his image and he's not made in ours. So then we should strive to be more like him. God doesn't hate the world. God loves the world. And, and for example, like Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus in John three, what does he say? God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that you wouldn't perish, but that you could be saved, you know? And that's something that I've struggled with myself is the idea of looking at the world as the enemy because they're not, they're not. I would like to see as many of these people as possible that are lost in eternity. You know, I'd like to see them make it. I would like to be in heaven with them and, and know that possibly God used me to some degree to help lead them back. So I don't want to view that as my enemy, because it's not. Now there is an enemy in the midst. <laughs> and I think that that list of seven things is the way that that enemy manifests. But it's also, I think, important not to demonize the world. You know, because God loves the world. I mean, Christ told us that. He does love the world. Even in its sin, he still loves the world. So when you see people that are doing things wrong and living their lives incorrectly, I think it's important to maintain that that spirit of understanding their ignorance. You know, like what did what did Christ say when they were trying to kill him? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And uh, that's something that we can apply in everyday life because you're not going to force people into accepting God. You know, by judging them, because that's not what we're here for. That's not even what Christ was here for. You know, we're not here to judge the world. Christ wasn't even here to judge the world. I'm not here to judge the world, but I'm here to try to help them escape judgment. You know, because we know that those that choose to believe in Christ will be saved and will have life eternal. And those that don't, won't. You know, and so coming from a place where I truly desire to be Christ-like, not saying that I, that I am completely, but certainly more so than I've ever been in, in, historically in my life. I, I want to look at the world the way he does, you know, understanding. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't protect yourself either, you know, from the world. It doesn't mean that you expose yourself to the sins of the world, you know? And uh, I think that's a big part of it is is not not categorizing people as your enemy that that don't understand yet you know that's no way to foster brotherhood or friendship or love yeah no absolutely as far as how that that was just the one i wanted to touch on that because of the 
you know, hating the world. I think that is a, it's a confusing proposition to a lot of Christians because it puts them at odds with everything around them. And that doesn't need to be the case, you know, because God is all around you too. He's here. Now the ways of the world, that's not the world. That's, those are behaviors and actions, you know? So I think that certainly those things that God hates, the things that I just listed, the things that are in, in Proverbs, I mean, I think that we need to be particularly wary of those behaviors and realize that those are things that are going to lead to destruction without any doubt, you know, but even then I'm not quick to rush to judgment on the people doing those things. You know, I would like to have the opportunity to show them that there's a different way. And uh, I know I won't get that by attacking anyone. So that's sort of my position on that, I think. In terms of how that relates to training and this sort of pseudo-machismo, <laughs> I think a lot of that stems from insecurity, you know, the stuff we were talking about before, right? I mean, you shared your experience with me of that, that, uh, that you feel better, right? That you feel more peaceful, not approaching your training that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I was talking to my, uh, my coach and I asked him, you know, Josh, if you want to ask Sweet anything, um, since he's also wants to and does live his life biblically, I have a, I guess, a prompt that he wanted me to relate. And if you don't mind speaking on it, that would be cool. Yeah, of course. Thanks, man. So he writes here. This is something he's been thinking about a lot, especially with his father. His father's also a devout Christian, like Josh. He says, We're living in the mere shadows of creation. Although this world offers breathtaking beauty in its mountains, valleys, forests, and other wonders of creation, such as its creatures, whales, hummingbirds, bees, and also the human creature, we share this creation with God's other creatures, and God said to take care and tend to the creation. But through the millennia, mankind has chosen to serve his own inclinations, which are foreign to the Almighty God. We have chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator. We have chosen the I rather than the we. In a story of the Rabbi Hillel in the time before Christ, it is said a man stopped the rabbi and said, if you can explain the Torah to me while standing on one foot, I shall believe. The rabbi lifted his foot from the ground and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and you shall love your neighbor. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbors. The rest is all commentary. Mm. I mean, I think that's that's what Christ left us with, right? As as I've loved you, love also each other. Right? Which I mean that was the that was the perfect picture of love. Don't you think? I think so, yeah. I mean it's it's striking, really, actually. Yeah, I mean that's a perfect example. It's the meta example of how to live life as a man, as a human, correctly, in a way that's gonna be pleasing to God. Right, And he did that so that we could have a chance, not only to follow his lead. And that's, that's the importance of when we look at this from an allegorical standpoint, these stories that we were talking about, like focusing on Christ and not on the storm, right? So in that case, it was quite literally looking away from Christ to the storm that caused Peter to begin to sink. But in our case, we begin to sink when we look away from that example, that example of examples, that Christ was of how to live life. So when we worry about the fears of the world, when we worry about our needs being met, a lot of things like, what are people going to think? Am I making the right decision? Uh, am I capable of doing this? When we start to question these things, we take our eyes off of Christ in that example. He did not do that. You know, he, he acted, he did what he was supposed to do. He never, he never did the other thing because it was easier or because he didn't believe in himself or his role. You know, he didn't question. And uh, so that's that's why the only question I ask is, why? Who am I serving? With, with all the decisions I make. And I feel by doing that, it allows me to redirect my eyes to Christ. You know, if that makes sense. I know I'm, I'm talking in metaphorically a lot here. So it's easy to lose where, where I'm at. So if I'm not making sense, please stop me. But, you know, usually I think... Uh, I think we've had a, a good experience of connecting in that way, you and I, in conversations where we are pretty much on the same page with each other. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I look the more metaphor, the better, man. Uh, it, All right, it, good. Right. If anything, we we tend to uh, everything's become so literal lately. Yeah, right? like, and it's I think, a problem. You know, it is. It bends two ways, rather. You know, one thing, and I can appreciate where you come from in terms of science. I consider myself. So I'm a social scientist. I also believe in hypothesis and all that stuff, provable phenomena, if you will. And um, sure. on the other hand, just as you said, though, we also take this literalism in looking at the Bible and then seeing sometimes, sometimes saying to ourselves, oh, well, you know, it could be a ghost story. It could be just, you know, a nice little myth, right? That we kind of mm. easily discard the metaphor and therefore the truth with it. It's interesting, Joseph Campbell uh, for those who were listening who, who may not know, Joe Campbell, he's often been likened as kind of like a, a predecessor to someone like Jordan Peterson. He was an American mythologist and he wrote extensively about myth. And the one thing that he writes about with myth, especially with, with Greeks, is that, you know, the Greeks, it's unclear whether or not they actually believed in the gods of Olympus. But the one thing that they never, that never really passed by was the fact that all these represented allegory and metaphor in a very profound way. And it, it's interesting because, you know, even when I think back of, you know, Greek myths or Nordic myths or whatever, you know, we always think, oh, wow, this is, you know, kind of cool, but silly. And how could you believe in this? But really for them, it was, it was actually a deeper experience. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, getting, getting metaphor and understanding that I think enriches you, not just in your faith, but also just, I don't know, to be arrogant about it, just intellectually, let's say, to, to really open up more doors than you would otherwise have, you know, at your feet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, again, that could be good and bad too. You know, it's uh yeah, I agree. There's definitely a little bit of a, a divide there. Um, I do think that, see, there's a, there's a difference between working with like your own wisdom and working with God's wisdom. Right. So if I'm telling you something that is a metaphor that I feel is, just something that I'm for using an example to write or what have you, right? Uh, it's and it's and I'm trying to teach some lesson, some worldly lesson, some earthly lesson about training or what have you, right? Then you're subject to me possibly, you know, leading you astray with that, or that maybe the metaphor is going to fall on, you know, that there's it's not it's not a it's not going to hold true, and it's actually going to cause people to have the opposite effect, you know, that, that, that's intended. But when you're working with wisdom that comes from God, I, I don't I don't really see that same risk. I mean, I look at it like you're sowing seeds and they're either going to fall on fertile ground or they're not. And they're going to fall on stony ground, you know, and that's not really up to me. And again, that brings me back to like, I, I you know what? This episode is the first Corinthians episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, iron sharpens iron, man. That's, that's it. Right. Yo. <laughs> Right? I actually, okay, so this podcast, I have to share this with you. This is something that happened uh, this maybe this week, earlier this week. Uh, so obviously this podcast got released and there was a lot of, I got a ton of feedback from people reaching out to me with similar situations and so forth. And I had one person who I had worked with years ago in coaching, who I was not in, in contact with and we weren't really, we hadn't been in communication for a bit, but he was struggling with his faith in a similar way to the way that I shared that I was. And uh, he asked me, uh, he reached out to me and sent me a message and said, you know, it was a long message. It was essentially the, the issues that he'd been running into and so forth. And uh, what I, what I talked to him about it, what I, and before I saw the message, he wrote another one and said, you know, oh, I realize this is too much to ask. Never mind. I'm, I know you're busy. This is, it was inappropriate of me to ask that. And of course, you know, I'm like, Hey guy, <laughs> Don't ever feel bad about asking me about that. Let's let's talk. I'll set up a time for a phone call, and we did. And uh, he was, and you know, we had a brief conversation. We were, and it was maybe honestly, it was probably like ninety minutes to be to be honest. It was a long conversation, I guess. But it seems it seems brief when you're when you're covering this sort of topic. And uh, the whole iron sharpens iron thing leads back to this. So I gave him some. I don't want to say direction. I gave him maybe some advice. What I would consider to be brotherly advice from, you know, from one brother in Christ to another, some of the stuff we talked about, about letting, laying down the, the guilt so that you could carry what God has for you. And I also encouraged him to get involved in community and fellowshipping with other Christians, because this is not something that you can do alone. 
And uh, a lot of times, like like what we were talking about earlier on the first episode, God uses people to fill that hole. You know, God, that's that's during this in this life, you fill that God-shaped hole with people, people that are of God. And uh, so, I I pushed him to do that. I gave him also. I gave him a little bit of homework in terms of scripture. I told him to read some things and basically the gospels to focus on that stuff first. You know, I would consider that to be more of the milk that Paul refers to compared to the solid food. Uh, so just focus on the gospels first and, uh, and to reach out and try to get involved in some kind of community, understanding that everything's really rough right now with the restrictions and so forth, you know? Uh, so apparently he, he, had previously reached out and he hears, he finally hears back from a guy who says that, oh, you know, he lost the number or something. And uh, he, he found it and he wanted to reach out to him and invite him to become part of this group, a study group. It was like a men's group. Uh, at my church, we call them life groups, but I'm not sure what they call them at this place. But anyway, he says that the name of the group is Iron Sharpens Iron. You know, no yeah, yeah. And he's like, I just, he said, I felt like that was God talking to me. And I was like, well, he kind of is that scripture, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's directly from, that's directly from the scripture. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like it is what it is. And like, yeah, it's not, it's not surprising to me to hear that there's a group called that, but I mean, it might come as a slight surprise that what led him to that group was us having these public conversations about our faith. And you're calling the series Iron Sharpens Iron. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just evidence is everywhere if you're willing to accept it. I'm glad that it has. It's interesting, too, because I've had a few folks, you know, reach out, you know, just to kind of thank me. But usually that never really happens. I mean, I my podcast is it's it's very humble. It's very niche. You know, I don't expect it to like blow up. My I just like to kind of have conversations with folks and, and connect. And I think that's uh especially these days with quarantine, I mean, heck, you know. So, but this this episode in particular really did elicit um, a lot of reaction. And, uh, and you know, I kind of thought to myself, it's interesting because, you know, through my own kind of uh, very slow glacial journey, let's say, right, uh, coming back to, to Christianity, um, I never really felt that a lot of uh, folks that I, I called as friends, I could really share this with because they were of that kind of, you know, highly skeptical uh, academic circles, right? I mean, I still love them. They're my friends, but, you know, it's just not something that we ever talked about. And of course, when you put that on your radar as an identity, people were like, whoa, 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 what's all this support? You know, they get kind of freaked out. Sure. Because I mean, people and and in in your heart, too, you're afraid to share that because you what do you think? People think, oh, this is corny. They'll judge you. Um, again, that's worrying what people will think. Yeah. Right? It's right back yeah. to like the, the, the quote we were discussing. But yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I definitely got I mean, the amount of, the amount of feedback I got from this podcast, which, you know, admittedly, like you said, this is a modest podcast and I've been on some giant ones, you know, that were monstrous. And the feedback that I'm getting from this was more, you know, which again is really not surprising to me because of the context. Like this is something that the world is desperate for right now. It's what they need. And it's what they're being kept from, like literally being kept from like how many churches are still closed. Right. Right. That's, and we need right. this. We need this and we need to be able to fellowship and discuss faith and discuss God and our role. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, it's very important. I mean, like hats off to you for making this. I mean, I'm I'm glad you wanted to sit down and and talk with me about this. I mean, I know. um, Yeah. For me, I think with interesting with quarantine, I mean, uh, the churches, the Catholic churches, I should say, were closed until um, about the summer when they opened up again. But before then I used to just go into DC when I had time to the uh, National Basilica, like this really impressive church that was built. And uh, I would just sort of like, just kind of stand around the church grounds and just sort of pray. And that was really the amount of fellowship that I had prior to really talking to other Christians was just that. It was, while it was lonely, it did give me a lot of time to kind of do a lot of reflection about my faith and kind of, you know, as you said, you kind of have to 
it's a constant aversion of one's gaze. Where do I look? You know, and I think now with, I've heard some pretty, really sad stories, not just of people, you know, losing their lives to COVID, but also folks who are losing their livelihoods because of the quarantine, right? I mean, it's, it's a dual situation, right? I mean, it's, it's a nasty virus. I'd love to have it to end. And then at the same token, some of, some of the people I think don't realize that for folks who have, you know, whether they're workers or they're just small business owners, it really has wrecked them to the core. Yeah. I mean, I just to, just to give a little bit of commentary on that, right. What you're, what you're saying. Um, we were talking about, uh, Chesterton, right? Yes. Orthodoxy. Yes, sir. Right. And in that he refers to virtues run wild, right? (laughs) So the idea that like, it's not vices that are killing everyone. It's, it's perceived virtue. And the problem with it is that it's not, it's not that it's a virtue that is causing the issue. It's that it's a virtue in isolation from any semblance of a moral code, of a whole code. So it's isolated virtues, you know, and like wear a mask, do this, follow, you know, I mean, like it's, it, you're enforcing that. And uh, again, I, I really feel like a lot of that, what is the motive, right? Is it, is it that you're concerned? Because that will probably not be the way that I would address someone that I was concerned about. Is it that you're concerned about what other people think and how you're going to look? I think that's a lot of it, you know, and I think if we're honest with with ourselves as Christians and say, what's motivating me to do this? Like a lot of this stuff is the appearance of virtue. We're, we're liking that we can put out the appearance of virtue, but it, these are virtues that are independent of the entirety of the moral code. So in other words, you, you can't pull a single virtue out of a moral fabric and expect it to hold the same merit that it does when it's part of an entire tapestry of morality right so a complete picture of morality that's the difference in in my view between a true religion and an ideological position right is that ideological positions are typically pieces of morality you know and that's and that's where we get into the whole like creating god in your own image or looking at the bible as a menu you know, I'll take this, this, and this, but not the rest. <laughs> and uh, I think if we all are playing by the rules here, we'd be a lot kinder to each other and a lot more understanding that people are suffering in many ways, not just with sickness and death and loss, but other ways that could lead to death and loss. You know, moral sickness, spiritual sickness. You no, know, it's interesting. I mean, yeah. Yeah. my view on this is probably different from yours, but I, I do understand that it's a multifaceted problem. I guess what kind of annoys me per se, and I don't want to use that term, but I, I guess it's that, yes, like I don't think a lot of, let's say wealthy folks, right, that, that live in these areas where they can, you know, they can work from home, for example, very comfortably. Okay, let's just, you know, some people don't ever have to do that. And then I remember seeing somebody chastise a group of construction workers somewhere off uh, 395 here in Virginia. And it's like, yeah, but what do you do all day? <laughs> you know, like these guys have to, they have to earn their bread. Like, and honestly, if you're sweating and it's hot, I mean, yeah, it's going to be difficult. But I mean, I always have to kind of, when I talk to my friends back up north, you know, and they kind of hold those more positions, like, yeah, I, I generally agree with you. I think we should wear a mask. I think we, we do have to do some due diligence towards those who are a bit weaker, per se, in their immune system. But I also think it's important to understand, too, that like, this is a very psychologically damaging thing socially for us, maybe morally for us. And, and I mean, out of suicides, for example, because people just can't leave or they just, they, they're unable to, or they're being ostracized maybe in an unintentional way. I think that there's this whole year has kind of, I think for me with my, with my faith, at least it's kind of me, it's kind of made me sort of sit back and appreciate a lot simpler things and I know that's often cliche, but it's true. When when all of a sudden your world kind of turns upside down, either we we freak out, understandably. And then I think also another response could be to kind of, what is this kind of serving? Like, what can I get out of this year in a way that could either strengthen me? Maybe I could reach out to people that I haven't reached out to, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, just sort of keep in touch with folks better. I think that there are a variety of responses and it's interesting to see the kind of different inflections, I think, ideologically speaking, on faith as we kind of go through this, you know, never ending. Well, no, I mean, I, 
to comment on what you're saying, I, I t to some degree, I agree with you. I don't think that we necessarily see things very differently. I, th I think that, uh, I think that, again, this is an issue of the world, right? And focusing on these things draws us away from doing the right thing, like focusing on being too rigidly uh, attached to something that is so if we if we were to look at like the idea of a virus or anything political right that's being politicized which certainly this is right it's a dividing point right so feeding into that and arguing about differences of opinion and so forth only further divides everyone you're not convincing someone of your opinion you know like if i'm someone who doesn't believe in masks and i'm like hey let me show you this systematic review of the available literature for transmission for respiratory viruses and whether or not masks have a real impact right if it doesn't show the result that you want that's not going to change your stance right there's nothing about there's nothing about that that's going to change your stance right people are choosing to believe what they believe so continuing to engage in arguments and allowing things like this to be divisive in nature like if someone wants someone else to put on a mask i think you know and you're in a situation where you're in close quarters with them you should probably do it not because you believe that it's going to help or what have you but because you're respecting that that other that other person's afraid and when people are afraid it's the same as when they're angry they can't hear they can't hear each other like you ever try to have a conversation with someone when you're mad or when they're mad <laughs> it's pointless. You don't hear them. You can't hear when you're angry, you know? And, uh, you know, someone very dear to me, actually someone that I consider to be a spiritual mentor for many years said something to me not that long ago. And it really stuck with me and it rings true. And you can tell me what you think about this. So like, you know, that when you're angry with someone, you raise your voice, right? Like you, people, we tend, it's a habit that we have to raise our voice and we, we, we talk more loudly to each other and begin to almost talk at each other. And his reasoning for that was, because at that point, your hearts are very far apart. So you feel that you need to scream to hear each other, you know, whereas if you're willing to keep that quiet voice inside of you, you can allow your heart to get nearer to them, you know, and communicate softly so that you can hear each other. You take that anger out of it. You can then listen. You can then actually communicate. But the anger prevents that. And I do believe that's from the devil. You know, I think that it's a, it's a tool of division. But you have to submit to it. You have to give into it in order for it to work. Like, as for me, less and less do I do that. I find myself arguing with people less and less. I might state my opinion on something, and I'm fine with people not agreeing. You know? And that's okay. Like, we can have different opinions. I can respect your opinion and, you know, and still feel differently. Right? We're in this... We've, we've entered into this sort of paradigm where like you will agree with me or you're evil. That is not, that's judgment that we're not qualified to make. I agree. And to be self-critical, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm more on the progressive end of the political spectrum, which I think presents itself with its own issues for sure. The one thing that I'm really disappointed though, I guess, is that, yeah, we're not really able to have a calm discussion about a lot of these different things. And I know that in the past 10 years, it's really gotten into a fever pitch where it's very hard to really talk about anything online. Yeah. It's just become so jarring. And I, I, I see that with myself as, as a very fallible human being. I definitely see that like, if, if there's someone from the opposite end of the, of the spectrum, I immediately have to steal myself because I feel like there's going to be like this big blowout argument. And what's kind of cool is that when we first started talking, you know, I felt that even though I knew we were on different sides, it's been great to connect like this. And I think also sharing our faith as well, it's been a nicer connection, right? Rather than, I think it's cool to have intellectual connection with people, don't get me wrong. I deeply appreciate it about you as well. But I do like the fact that at least we also have this kind of- Yeah, we're not on, we're not on opposite sides. We're not on different sides. You know, that's, that's, the, that's important, you know, to acknowledge that we're not, we're not on different sides. Our, our viewpoints and opinions may differ slightly, but it's nuance, right? Like the things that matter, we're on the same side. You know, I think that we both care about people and want what's right for people. And uh, we may 
differ slightly on how we arrive there, but that that doesn't put us on different sides, in my opinion. I think that we're we're trying to meet each other in the middle, and that's what we should all be trying to do. No, I agree. Yeah. If there's one thing to kind of right take out of everybody being locked indoors all the time or whatever, you know, all this kind of social anxiety um, is, yeah, is kind of almost how to relearn how to connect with somebody in a way that, as you put it, it is a quiet endeavor. It's just not something you're going to get through four stores or, you know, a whole army of data that validates your truth as it were, right? It's never worked. I mean, you know, it's funny, even in academia, and I spent many years in academia, even in academia, when you see like these little, these rivalries, right? These tempest and teacups between academic one and academic two, and they're fighting over, you know, they basically have 95% agreement, right? But then there's this one little tiny issue where it's like, no, man, you are totally wrong on this. I mean, they just work themselves up and they marshal up their own kind of data. And you know what? If anything, it just doesn't go anywhere. That's just what happens. They end up splintering over a minor thing. I invite people to engage, you know, and I, and I don't do that so I can attack them. I want, like, you know, civil discourse. Like, I know you know what civil discourse is, but the average person has lost all sight of the idea of civil discourse, of, a, of the power of a conversation. Like, I don't enter into this to dominate or beat you or convince you, right, or even persuade you. I enter into a conversation to learn more than I know now, to leave better than I went into it. And I want you to do the same. You know, I want you to understand my opinion, have a more robust picture of my opinion when you leave. So you can know what, well, like that's, that's how questions should be posed. Like, well, why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? And not from a place of judgment, from a place of curiosity. You know, that's the way we get closer and understand each other, not by attacking each other, not by attempting to persuade or convince each other through force, through, you know, even through whatever, through a preponderance of evidence. But by understanding, why do you believe that? Why do you feel that way? Okay. And then being open to the idea that maybe the other party knows something or recognizes something that you're not because you're blinded by your own biases or your own beliefs, you know, just opinions. No, absolutely. It's interesting when I get more involved in the podcast, I'm just sort of like opening up to the sort of community and, you know, realizing that even though, yeah, people are radically different from me in terms of maybe politics, but maybe, maybe radical isn't even a good adjective to use for that. Maybe it's just the fact that I've never encountered these people in my life, my normal course of whatever living. And it's been a surprise to me. And it's definitely lost, it's definitely left me with a lot of food for thought. It's been able to allow me to kind of re-engage with people on a much more like loving way, in a way that just sort of guides you. You know, I was gonna say, man, I'd love to keep talking about this, but tell me a little bit more about your upcoming stuff, your podcast or YouTube. I know you mentioned it briefly, so I want to hear more about that and maybe where can we expect to see it and when? Sure. So I've already purchased a, a bunch of the equipment that I need and I set up an office in my house. Uh, it's nice. It's beautiful. I got new windows put in so I can look at the trees and the sun comes in. And so I figured this is a great place to hold like a, to set up a, a sort of online classroom. And I want to you know, maybe do some lessons, do some Q&A on the channel. I'm going to probably still farm questions from Instagram because every time I put that question box up, I seem to get about 100 questions. And uh, for whatever reason, people are really attracted to that as a, as a source. And then I would maybe answer them on YouTube and do it that way. And that way it's there as a permanent resource, which can be indexed and searched. And I don't have to continue to answer the same questions. I can direct people to it. But beyond that... I definitely want to set up something something similar to what we have here, where we can discuss faith in modern life as it pertains to men and women that are struggling. And even I've talked about the idea of maybe targeting Christians that are still suffering, you know, people that are that have accepted Christ and they're still they're still dealing with they're still carrying the same burden, you know. And, and maybe learning through other people's experiences. I'd like to bring other people on that have struggled in the similar ways to, that I have. And uh, how we found freedom and peace and joy. Talk about that. And if other people listen and they feel that it's helpful to them, that would be great. 
I think they will. I would say from just from our first episode of this, this little series that we're doing, the feedback I've gotten has been, yeah, like I haven't had anything like this prior. And so for the first time in my life, I find myself in a place where I feel called to serve. I'm not as concerned. I'm really, I'm not concerned at all about really a career at this point in terms of what I've been doing and trying to advance myself. Uh, Prior to this, I had intended fully to go to law school and uh, I was planning on doing the ALAP program at Pitt in Pittsburgh, which is near where I live. Certainly near enough for me to drive. Uh, So I was going to do that and commute, and that was going to be essentially the next five years of my life. And recently I was faced with the the potential that that might not be an option for me for the first time, like that I had to face the reality that maybe I wasn't going to be able to do that because of some technical issues, some legal things. And now it turns out that I am able to do it and that's completely resolved and that was no longer an issue, but... I feel that God used that to allow me to reassess, to cause me to reassess. <laughs> and what else could I do then? You know, and I, I just sort of allowed myself to be open to other possibilities. And in that time, it became clear to me that I was called to serve in some way. You know, the way that I feel, the reward that I feel internally to be able to help people along in their walk with Christ is unlike any other reward I've experienced in my life. And the fruit is manifest. Like, since things have changed for me, let's say within the last year, nine months, what have you, you know, the the difference, the things that have, the miracles that he's worked in my life in this time, without me focusing on myself or being concerned about myself, I mean, it's more evidence than I ever could have hoped for or asked for. And so I feel compelled more even more so even than called. Uh, actually, I, I heard someone speaking about this and he was talking about, you know, it's a famous passage. Many are called, but few are chosen. And he was talking about the difference between being called and being chosen was that the people, when they're called, they diligently begin to search and do the work and, and allow God to polish them. And truth be told, I felt called to this over 20 years ago. You know, I have, I have one Bible that I've been reading out of. I have the date when I bought it on there and it's 20, over 20 years ago. And, uh, I've diligently been searching the scripture. I've been called to it. I've returned to it without understanding it. And at this point, it's clear to me that that was preparation. All of that has been preparation for what comes next. And I do feel, I feel chosen. I feel that I have a responsibility. I feel that God has put me in a position where I have like a small to modest following of people that look to me for what to do, that look to me for answers and all kinds of answers. If you've seen the questions on, when I put the question box up, like maybe half of them are related to sports science and the rest are related to living life. And so God has allowed me to establish this following of people that are largely sick people that need a physician. And he equipped me with a physician to hand over to them, you know, and I do feel I'm heading in a very different direction than I ever have previously. And every step I take in that direction reaffirms that I'm on the right path. So I'm going to continue, you know, Uh, I feel like 
I'll give you an example. I was in a relationship with a woman for maybe a year, year and a half, on and off. And she wouldn't commit, you know, that was essentially, it was a situation where commitment was an issue and she was working with a lot of fear. And I was in a position where, now this is also, she's also a Christian. I was in a position where I was very frustrated and disappointed and essentially decided I would move on with my life. And we both moved on with our lives, but essentially what we did was we both turned to Christ separately like far apart in different states. And when the time came that God brought us back together, that was it. All the work was done. Like we were both ready at that point. We were both healed. And she's committed that she would like to serve God with me for the rest of her life, you know, and that she feels called to do that. And I feel the same. And I think that there are just way too many things that fell into place for us to blow that, you know, to brush that off as just coincidence or that things work out over time or anything like that. You know, it was a very specific order of operations there. And uh, it's the same thing with everything else in terms of God manifesting in my life. Once I submitted entirely that, like, here's the thing too, like oftentimes what we think we want, like we don't know what we want. You got to go to God for that. You may have inside of you, like in your heart, you may be pulled in a certain direction, but you don't know why, and you don't know what to do with it, even if you do accept it, right? And I think that was a similar situation with that relationship. Whereas now, we're going to get married in June. Oh, congrats, man. That's amazing. <laughs> thank, thank you. That's yeah, fantastic. and you know, God bless. Yeah, and uh, you know, she's moving and <laughs> to be here with me and join my church and. You know, God is good. Like all these things fall together for a reason. And I, I feel like as soon as I embraced this, like I started immediately with designing clothing, things like that, that are related to faith, things that will encourage people in their walk. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very different direction for me, but I, it, it feels very, it, I felt like, okay, so here's an analogy I'm going to use again. You ready? By all means, <laughs> best, sir, you are the announcer best. master. <laughs> you're not the first person to say that to me so uh okay so you know you know how code works right go ahead like you, you ever done any coding like like c plus plus or something like yeah, that unfortunately not no okay well i think regardless if you stick with me here this will make just as much sense to you i'm with you if, if you if you had done it okay so essentially you're gonna write you write code you might write like eighty thousand lines of code for a program or maybe maybe even more who knows and then when the time comes that you finish the program, there's usually a test program that you would use to make sure that the program is working correctly, right? So when it's all said and done and you've written all the code, you, you plug it into the test program and it tells you how many errors you have in the code or how many problems there are, right? Oftentimes, the first time you try it, it's like 18,000 errors. And you're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix 18,000 errors randomly distributed in all these different places? And essentially, you only get some clues as to what's wrong where. But the good thing is, you might fix one thing, right? Like one error. And then you rerun the test, and it's now there's six errors <laughs> instead of 18,000, you know? Because everything is stemming off of one error <laughs> that's causing all these other errors. Right. So once I did that thing that I was talking about earlier, where I fully submitted, where I let go of those shackles so that I could carry what it was that God had for me, because I did, I really felt like I'd go into the woods and pray, you know, and I felt like at one point God was talking to me and said to me, like, you got to put this stuff down because I have more for you to carry and you can't carry it with that. Once I did that, it was zero errors. You know, that was the error that was causing all the other errors for me was the guilt, was the self-judgment, because what is self-judgment? It's putting yourself in the place of God. And so I, I'm not qualified for that role. I don't, I don't want to even judge other humans, much less myself. So if I know that that debt is forgiven, that I if I know that that debt's already paid, 
you know, which I do. I know 100%. There's zero doubt in my mind that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was enough to pay for my sin. And even errors that I continue to make, mistakes I make. By focusing on him, I make less mistakes. And I don't focus on the errors because that draws me away from my calling, which is to serve. So, so once I did that, I went from a situation where there was like 18,000 errors that I've been struggling my entire life to try and fix one at a time from the top down, where what I really needed to do was go back down to the bottom and fix the one line of code that was throwing everything else off, <laughs> which was that I was responsible of doing it on my own strength and carrying the weight of it. And, and I'm not, you know, no one is. You know, that's not our role. That's not our, our place. And so by experiencing that freedom myself and, you know, obviously learning all the things that I have along the way, I feel like God has prepared me or armed me for this next step. And I, I have no choice but to take it. I, I want to take it. I'm excited to take it. I'm grateful for everything, even the struggles, even the struggles. Like, it sounds crazy when you know what some of the struggles are that I've been through, you know? Like, I was in a prison that was closed for human rights violations, including torture, you know? I was in solitary confinement for extended periods of time for months. You know, I went weeks without showers. You know, I had lights on all night and off all day. Things like that. Like, and, and there's different times in my life, and I'm not complaining about those things. They made me, they shaped me into who I am. They allowed me to, they put me in a position where I can, easily empathize with somebody that's suffering in almost any situation, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's too, once you see clearly, it's just too much to overlook. It's obvious. <laughs> you know, you, you hear people say these cliche things like, Oh, but once you believe, then you get the evidence and da, 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 da. it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess you sort of nod your head to it. But in reality, I can tell you, I've studied it. I've come at it from every angle from top to bottom but when you go back to the bottom and fix that one error it sorts itself out you know it's true i mean it's almost like asking the question like like what more do you do you want what more proof do you want i mean it's it's almost like we could we you could play that dance until death trying to figure out every little flaw or every nitpicking every little detail um and it's almost just mind-numbing you know but uh that's awesome man no that's by design. I think it is. I think it's made to distract you. I yeah. Think that, oh, absolutely. I do believe there's dark powers at play. I mean, I, you know, for a lot to not sound, I don't want to sound like, you know, like I'm living in some crazy world where, you know, I'm here with you. I'm living the same world you are. You know, I, I believe in, <laughs> I believe in the scientific method. Like it, a lot of people have trouble. Like, well, how do you reconcile that to this? It's like easily, you know, one supports the other not, neither of them are in conflict. You know, it's when you begin to have this hubris that you think you have a better understanding of things than you do that you assume that you know better. But when you let go of that, it's obvious that you don't. Oh, I mean, I always, I mean, just on a historical note, like I, people always talk about, you know, uh, Renaissance era, Catholic Church, all that suppression. I'm like, yeah, but dude, who was running all of the scientific institutions? Like mm. who was, who were all these monks that were trying to figure out genetics and, and like, <laughs> philosophy and math? Like you right. think they were just like closet atheists? Like, no, these were, this mm -mm. was like an institution that, that profoundly believed in, in advancing science and it, it obviously outgrew it right until we get to other you know, historical moments. So I, um, right. I never, yeah, I never really have much of a problem just saying, yeah, just, you know, check it out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of history. About the idea that like I love when people bring things up like as though like human rights are somehow like contradictory. It's like, where do you think that came from? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Like, where do you think we got human rights? Where do you think that that where do you think those concepts are derived? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I agree. There is no conflict.